0: Hello. Welcome to the myths and history of Greece and Rome. Chapter 103 A Farewell to Rome. The year is four sixty seven. In just nine years' time, the Western Roman Empire will no longer exist. It still exists at the moment, but the Romans really only control Italy, bits of Gaul, and parts of Spain. The Eastern Empire has taken control of Illyricum and the rest of the Balkans. Britain, Africa, and the rest of Spain and Gaul are gone run by barbarian kings. By the time 467 came around, Ricimer and Leo had been in negotiation as to who should be the next Western emperor for nearly two years. For two years, there had been no emperor in the West, and nobody could really tell the difference between life with an emperor and life without one. In the end, Leo got his way, and the new emperor was none other than Anthemius, the man whom most people had expected to follow Marcion as Emperor of the East. It's funny how these things turn out sometimes. Ricimer sealed the deal by marrying Anthemius's daughter and looked forward to being the power behind yet another weak emperor. And he had the support of the East this time. Anthemius arrived in Italy with an army of troops from the East. The army was led by Marcellinus, who had rebelled against the West and been made Magister Militum of Illyricum by Leo. Maybe then the two halves of the Empire had come together for one last try at being great, Maybe there was still time to save the empire. Maybe glory was just around the corner. Everyone thought they knew what the biggest problem in the Roman world was. The Vandals had been in charge of North Africa for more than 20 years, and the food supply and taxes from that rich area had been lost to the empire. If the empire was going to prosper, then this territory had to be won back. The Vandals must be taken on in battle and beaten. Then they must be expelled from the Empire and North Africa must be regained. This time, the two halves of the Empire decided they needed to work together. It was no good just relying on Western troops and their barbarian allies. This time, the full forces of the East must be raised and sent to wage war against Gizeric. Both halves of the Empire helped to pay for the fight against the Vandals. Both halves sent troops and both halves sent commanders. The Western army was led by Marcellinus but overall command was given to a man from the east. Unfortunately, the command was not given to Aspar, the Allen Magister Militum, but to the brother of the Emperor's wife. Flavius Basiliscus had risen up the ranks of the army, probably only because he was the Emperor's brother-in-law. It was said that he had had some successes defending against invaders, but nobody was sure exactly what these successes were. Nobody could actually remember them, and it's probable they were just made up by his sister. Verina was very keen that her brother should do well under Leo, as he was quite a bit younger, and since Leo and Verina did not have a son, could be lined up to be the next emperor. The fleet and army were gathered for the attack, and both the fleet and the army were mighty. 130,000 Roman pounds of gold was used to pay for the ships and men. 1,113 ships were gathered together from all over the empire, and over 400,000 soldiers boarded them and headed for Africa. Basiliscus stood proudly as their leader. He knew he was a great general, and he knew he was about to win one of the empire's most glorious victories. The invasion force was massive, and the invasion force was ready. There were more than enough ships and men to wipe the puny vandals from the face of Africa. They could not fail. Under any commander, they could not fail. Well, under any other commander, they could not fail, Unfortunately, Basiliscus was probably one of the worst commanders in the history of massive invasions, and it was soon discovered that under this commander, they could fail. The campaign began well enough. Marcelinus expelled the Vandals from the island of Sicily, and an eastern general called Heraclius landed in Africa, near Tripolitana, and began to march towards Carthage. Basiliscus landed at a place called Mercurian, and could have marched quickly to the Vandal capital and taken Giseric by surprise. The only surprise, though, was that the Romans did not use the element of surprise. Surprisingly, the surprise was lost, leaving a lot of Roman soldiers shocked. Most surprised was Giseric. The Romans didn't attack at all. Basiliscus, for some reason, decided to talk. The Romans had tried to negotiate with Giseric before, and found he was very clever and cunning but still they negotiated again. Giseric knew he was in a very weak position, so he used all of the cunning he had. He said to the Romans that he knew he didn't have a chance and would do what Basiliscus and the emperors wanted. All he needed was five days. Basiliscus was totally lacking in any cunning, as well as being a complete idiot, and he agreed. I know we've said it before, but we're going to have to say it again. Stupid, stupid man. Five days was all Gyseric needed. His weather forecasters had told him the wind was to change direction during this time, so the Vandal king prepared his fleet. He didn't prepare much of the fleet for carrying troops, though. No, he prepared his fleet by emptying out the hulls so he could set fire to them. On the fifth day, the wind direction changed just as predicted. The Vandals sailed, with specially prepared ships being towed behind them towards Mercurion, where the massive Roman fleet was still in harbour. As they reached the mouth of the harbour, they lit fuses and set fire to the empty hulls. The ships were suddenly ablaze with flames, lighting up the harbour and terrifying the Roman sailors. The burning boats were released and headed straight for the Roman ships. The Romans couldn't escape, and the fire ships collided with their fleet. Fire quickly spread from the fire ships to the Roman ships, and then from the Roman ships to more Roman ships. The Romans were powerless against the raging flames and began to panic. They tried to push the burning ships away, but the fire just spread further. Soon, the Vandals sailed their real ships into the battle and began to sink huge numbers of Roman vessels. Many prisoners were taken and many Romans fled. It was all over in a few hours. The largest invasion force of the age had been destroyed and scattered by the cleverer Vandals. Basiliscus ran away back to Constantinople where he hid in the Hagia Sophia. The empire had lost huge numbers of men, most of its fighting ships, and spent all of its available money in the process. The empire, both east and west, was bankrupt and weaker than it had been for years. Leo was furious, and the population of Constantinople was even more furious. They demanded Basiliscus be dragged from the church where he was hiding and executed. Leo was perfectly happy with this idea, but his wife persuaded him that her brother should not be beheaded, but just exiled to Thrace. It was this disastrous expedition against the Vandals that finally did for the Western Empire. There was simply not enough strength left to save it. The brainless Basiliscus was responsible for the final nail in the coffin of the West. Well, at least there was no chance of an idiot like this becoming emperor one day. Or was there? Anyway, Anthemius returned to Italy. The exploits in Africa had not made him very popular, and most of the rest of the Western Empire was still under the control of the barbarians. Anthemius decided to prepare an attack against the Visigoths in Gaul, and return the Gallic provinces to fully Roman control. Unfortunately, Anthemius's forces, like Maximian and his evasion of Britain, botched the job, and then botched it again. Anthemius was not a bad ruler. He was capable and fair, but he was an emperor at a bad time. Failed military campaigns did not make him popular with the people or the army, especially Ricimer. The Magister Militum was still very powerful. Anthemius and Ricimer nearly fell out badly enough to start a civil war in 470, but a truce was agreed. In 472, though, after the second botched job against the Visigoths, Ricimer had had enough of the Emperor. Leo sent Alibrius to the west to try and sort out the arguments between Anthemius and Ricimer but Rissimer had a better idea. He proclaimed a Librious emperor, and Anthemius deposed. Anthemius had some supporters left and tried to assert his control. He appealed to the Gauls, but the Magister Militum there was Gundabad, the nephew of Rissimer. Gundabad instead supported Rissimer, and Anthemius had run out of friends. The emperor fled to St Peter's Church, where he was captured. He was executed, either by Rissimer or Gundabad, on the 11th of July 472. He was a little over 50 years old and had reigned for five years. So, four emperors to go before the fall of Rome. Ancinius Olybrius had not come to Rome to be emperor and he didn't want to be emperor. His elevation to the purple was very unwanted and highly unlikely. He was married to Valentinian III's daughter Placidia which gave him some supporters but he really didn't want the job. The greatest supporter of the new emperor, though, did not live long enough to enjoy being the power behind the throne again. Only 40 days after the accession, Miss died after a brief illness. The emperor didn't last much longer, dying of dropsy in October 472. There's no record of how old he was, and he had reigned for just six months. Three emperors to go before the fall of Rome. There was another gap before the next emperor was acclaimed. Gundabad had succeeded his uncle as Magister Militum, and was determined to wield power just as his uncle had done. He raised to the purple one of his combs Domesticorum, a man called Glycerius. Glycerius took up residence in the imperial palace in Ravenna. Again, he was not supported by Leo, and he also faced a serious threat from the Ostrogoths. Gundabad received an offer from the Burgundians, his own people, to become their king, so he left italy and glycerius to get along by themselves by this time the western empire was only italy gaul was now completely dominated by franks burgundians and visigoths and although they sort of thought of themselves as part of the empire they were pretty much independent and paid no taxes the newly powerful ostrogoths were led by three brothers with the wonderful names of valamir theodomir and vidimir soon theodomir's son took over from his father causing a split among the people. His uncle Vidimir took his people towards Italy. It seems that Glycerius handled the Ostrogoths skilfully and they went away, but this wasn't enough to keep him in the job. Leo still refused to accept Glycerius and decided to do something about it, so he sent his Magister Militum of Dalmatia to Italy with orders to take over. Julius Nepos was from Italy, son of the Magister Militum who had served under Avitus, he was probably born around 4.30 and had risen up the ranks of the imperial army. He was also married to the niece of Verina, wife of Leo. He landed at Ostia in the spring of 474 and Glycerius, he probably didn't want to be emperor anyway, gave up without a fight, having reigned for just three months. Glycerius was allowed to live and sent off to be Bishop of Salone and Julius Nepos was now Emperor of the West. Well, Emperor of Italy anyway two emperors to go before the end of Rome. Before we see what happens to Julius Nepos and meet the very last western emperor, we need to go back east and see what has happened and what is about to happen there. Leo had ruled wisely and well over the years of his reign. He had managed to reduce the power of Aspar and just about had the Alan general under control. Zeno was a faithful supporter and he now had a son. Since he was married to Leo's daughter, the little boy, also called Leo, was the grandson of the Emperor. In 469, Aspar had tried to have Zeno assassinated, and then in 471, his son Arbadur was found to be plotting against the Emperor. Leo finally had just about enough of this, and with the support of Zeno and the Isaurians, he was finally strong enough to do something about the Alans. He managed to get the people of Constantinople, to think that the disastrous campaign against the Vandals was Aspar's doing, even though Aspar had had nothing to do with it. Aspar was the Magister Militum, said Leo, and therefore it was all Aspar's fault. One morning in 471, in the Imperial Palace, some guards drew their swords and cut both Aspar and Arbadur down dead. Leo was finally free of the irritating man. Aspar was very unpopular with the people, but they still nicknamed the Emperor Leo the Butcher for the killings. Leo of course didn't care what they thought. Aspar was dead and Leo was running the show entirely by himself. He was though getting old and needed to plan what would happen after he died. He named his grandson Leo, son of Zeno, as his successor. Just as Julius Nepos was landing in Italy, the Eastern Emperor died of dysentery. Leo was 72 years old and had ruled wisely over the East, watching the West fall apart for 17 years. He was never exactly loved by his people, but they respected him, and most were genuinely sad when he died. Little Leo was proclaimed Augustus at the age of seven. A few days later, with the agreement of Leo's widow Verina, the Senate in Constantinople also raised Leo the Second's father, Zeno, to the rank of joint Augustus. Before the end of the year, though, Leo the Second was dead, and Zeno was the sole emperor of the East. Rumours spread that Zeno had killed his own son, so he could reign on his own. But those rumours were not true, and were probably started by the scheming Verena, who was not at all fond of her son-in-law. Zeno began his rule quite well, by agreeing a treaty with the Vandals, which would last 50 years. His general, Illus, also fought against the Ostrogoths, now led by Theodoric Strabo. Unfortunately for Zeno, his fellow Isaurians were not behaving quite as well, and were making themselves very unpopular. They had been treated very well by Leo, and it had gone to their heads. They spent much of the time thinking they owned the place, and being violent and unpleasant. All of this was very good news for two people who were not fond of Zeno at all. These two were, of course, Verina and her brother, the great, not-commander, Basiliscus. Both had ideas that Zeno should not be emperor. Basiliscus quite fancied the job himself, and Verena wanted it for her new boyfriend, Patricius. Somehow they persuaded Illus to join them, and a plot was hatched. One day in November 475, while Zeno was watching games in the Hippodrome, he received an urgent message. The Senate, the people, and the army were against him, and he better leave very quickly, or his head would soon be on a spike. It was all a massive fib, but Zeno believed it, and ran away back to the safety of Isoria. Amazingly, Basiliscus was pronounced emperor. He was as terrible an emperor as he was a general. First he had the Isaurians slaughtered and then had Verena's boyfriend Patricius assassinated. He upset most of the people in the Christian church by saying that Jesus was only a god and not human. This monophysitism went against the agreement of Marcion's fourth ecumenical council and most people didn't agree. He was supported only by a nasty bishop called Timothy the Weasel. Pretty soon, everyone was against him. In the west, the end was in sight. Julius Nepos had done his best to save those bits of the empire that were left. He negotiated treaties with the Visigoths and other barbarians, but he did not have enough support, troops or cash to save his empire. He raised a barbarian called Orestes to Magister Militum. Orestes decided he wanted more than this, and so he rebelled against the emperor. Julius Nepos fled to Dalmatia, and Orestes raised his own son, Romulus, who was half-Roman to the purple. Julius Nepos had lasted about 14 months. One emperor to go before the fall of Rome. Romulus was just a boy, perhaps 14 years old. He didn't do any ruling, his father ruled in his name. Romulus quickly became known as the Little Augustus, or Romulus Augustulus. The end came quickly. German soldiers in Italy demanded one-third of the home province. It seems Orestes may have promised them this before overthrowing Julius Nepos, but then changed his mind. The Germans, now led by a Roman citizen of barbarian origin called Odebaker, decided to take what they wanted by force. Orestes barricaded himself within the walls of the city of Ticinum, but was quickly forced out. He was executed soon after, and Odebaker moved towards Ravenna to depose the young emperor. Romulus Augustulus was exiled. He'd reigned for ten months. So, no emperors left before the fall of Rome. The Western Empire was no more, although for a while nobody in Italy really noticed any real difference. The empire didn't fall because of a big battle, it just sort of fizzled out. The only difference between the deposing of all the previous emperors and the deposing of this one was that Odebaker didn't bother to raise another useless nobody to the purple. We will see what he did do in a little while. Meanwhile, let's see if the idiot Basiliscus has managed to upset anyone else. Unsurprisingly, he has. He's upset everyone. He has particularly upset the great general Illus who helped him to the throne. In 476, Basiliscus sent his nephew, Harmatius, with Illus to defeat Zeno, who was hiding out in the mountains of Isoria. Harmatius, just as stupid as his father, was tricked by Illus into changing sides with the promise of being made Praetorian prefect. Illus persuaded Zeno to come back to Constantinople and resume his rightful position as emperor. This the rightful emperor did. He arrived in triumph in the capital and Basiliscus hid in the Hagia Sophia again. He eventually surrendered. Zeno promised he wouldn't be executed. The amazingly bad Emperor Basiliscus, along with his family, was exiled to Cappadocia, where he and they died of cold or starvation, or maybe both. When Zeno arrived in the capital, he received an unexpected gift. Odebaker had sent the imperial purple robes of the west and the western imperial jewels to him with a message. Emperor, said the message, We don't need an emperor here in Italy. I will rule. Just give me the rank of patrician and I will rule for you. Zeno also received a message from the exiled Julius Nepos asking for his help in restoring his rule to Italy. Zeno had no intention of accepting Odebaker, but on the other hand his own throne was not at all secure, so he couldn't afford to send any troops to help Nepos. So he did a clever thing. He sent a note back to Odebaker saying that if he wanted the rank of patrician, he'd better ask Julius Nepos, who was still, in his opinion, the legal Western Emperor. There is some evidence that Odebaker issued coins in the name Julius Nepos, but the supposed Emperor never actually returned to do any ruling in the Western Empire. Odebaker didn't try to obtain Zeno's blessing again, and pretty soon started calling himself King of Italy. He still pretended to be ruling on behalf of Zeno, or Nepos, or somebody but it was clear to anyone important that there was no longer imperial rule in Rome. So, Rome has gone. Half of the empire has gone. Constantinople and the Eastern Empire, though, are still going strong. Over the next thousand or so years, this empire will evolve and become a different kind of empire, but its story is just as exciting, glorious, funny and tragic as the one we have enjoyed so far. Before we leave the Western Empire though, we need to tidy up a few loose ends. The great Vandal King Giseric died in 477 in Carthage. The Western Empire's most fearsome and successful barbarian enemy was well over 80 years old and had been Vandal King for 50. And what of the last Western Emperors? One thing that showed how unimportant many of the last few Emperors were was the fact that once they were deposed, nobody had bothered to kill them. Romulus Augustulus was living in peaceful exile, Julius Nepos was in Dalmatia plotting to retake his empire and Glycerius was a bishop. So what happened to them? Julius Nepos fumed in Dalmatia still thinking of himself as western emperor. He was murdered by two of his staff on the ninth of May 480. There is some evidence that the man who ordered his death was Glycerius, the emperor he deposed. Julius Nepos was about 50 when he died. This is the last mention in history of Glycerius. It's not known how or when he died, or exactly how old he was. And Romulus Augustulus? He lived in comfortable exile in Campania, and may have still been alive in the early 500s. How, where and when he died is not recorded by history. Romulus Augustulus, the last Western Emperor, was so unimportant that nobody around at the time bothered to find out. Well, that's the end of the Western Roman Empire, but it's not the end of this podcast. In a few days, I'll be making an announcement about what's going to happen next. So, until then, have a great few days, and I'll speak to you next time.